right. Man, if y'all are sitting over here, y'all got a treat today. Um, those kids, that's something fun. I kicked them out, though. I said, we have no time for your shenanigans. So, uh, if you have your Bibles, let's go ahead, let's open them up uh, to Matthew chapter 23. Uh, Matthew 23, if you don't have a Bible and you'd like a free one, just raise your hand and um, uh, Tony will run one to you. Uh, and so, uh, I said last week that I was really unsure about where we were going next. Uh, typically, what we like to do is, is we walk through entire books of the Bible, uh, and, but we'll, we'll structure it in the way that we have a couple of chapters, and then we'll move to uh, a different thought. Um, in fact, uh, I have the wrong slide up here now. In fact, Christian, you can just go to that merge slide. That'd be fine, uh, the logo. Um, so, but what we'll do is we'll take a chapter, right, and then we'll move on to like a, a different thought, maybe about prayer or a different book of the Bible, and then we'll come back in. Uh, and so last week, or actually last couple of weeks, I've been t- trying to figure out where we wanted to go. And I said last week, I'm like a kid at the candy store. There's so many good options. I just don't know what to do. But Sunday was coming, and so it's like your parents saying, hey, you got like five seconds. And then they count. They start at two or three. And you're like, I got a whole more seconds. Um, so, but here, here's where we've decided. We're going to go ahead and continue in our journey through the Gospel of Matthew, primarily because... The, the things that are developing in these next couple of chapters are just a continuation of what we were exploring in chapters 20 through 22. Uh, and so this is all happening uh, in real time for them. And so if you'll remember, the last line that we read pa- this past Sunday was uh, after they've been asking Jesus some questions and he has been giving them uh, some really interesting answers, uh, that, that it says that... Uh, that no one was able to answer him because Jesus asked them a very specific question about how um, they view him as Christ. Uh, and it says, uh, no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. Uh, and so what happened was uh, they couldn't respond anymore, ask Jesus any more questions. And what happens next is Jesus is going to open his mouth and he's going to help clarify. And in these moments... Uh, will be happening as Jesus has been addressing the dangers of empty religion, uh, about a, a spirituality that doesn't produce the godly kind of fruits that uh, Christ says is vital to the world seeing that you belong to God. We're just saying these incredibly beautiful words that I am yours. So what does that look like? And Jesus, as he addresses the spiritual leaders of the Jewish church, he says, you guys have, have uh, you, you've gotten it all wrong uh, in many respects. And, and so we've been building momentum in these chapters that lie ahead of us in these next few weeks because what's going to happen are primarily two things in these next couple of chapters. Uh, Jesus, over our next two weeks, is going to deal with the hypocrisy uh, that is rising in the Jewish church. And then he's going to talk about some end times uh, about how this thing kind of comes together. And you're like, oh man, that's going to be pretty interesting. And I think you should be here for some of those things. And Jesus very clearly paints out um, some important aspects of what it looks like when he comes with his kingdom. Uh, and so, so Jesus, like I said, these two weeks we'll be confronting uh, our hypocrisy. And we're going to work through these chapters remembering something um, very important that... Uh, that the pursuit of the Word is always to display the goodness of God revealed in Christ. So we get, when we listen to Jesus speak, 
we get to see Him put on display, not so that we can build up arguments for knowing better than anybody else, but so that we can see Him more clearly, so our hearts will be drawn more and more and more to Him and Him alone as our great Savior King. So that's, that's our pursuit. And so we're going we're gonna, to... And I'll only give you that preface because uh, there's going to be some things said today specifically uh, where you're like, oh man, somebody else needs to hear that. Uh, and, and what we want you to see is that Jesus is all. Okay? That's the most important part as we deal with some of the attitudes of our own hearts that Christ is all. Uh, and that's what we're going to see. So let's pray, and then we'll get going. Father, we come to you, and we are very thankful today that you have brought us into a relationship with you, that you have rescued us, that, that your love has come down and it has set us free. And I pray today, through the power of your Holy Spirit, we would realize just how free we are in your Son. We thank you that we, are, we have not been left here as orphans, but that you have chosen us, and that you draw us, and you woo us, and you love us, and you are all-powerful and yet powerfully intimate to us. We love you, and we pray that we would see your Son speak today in incredible ways. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. All right, let me... Let me tell you, I'm going to just give you a blanket statement that I'm sure you'll all agree with because I said it, right? Um, but, but one of the easiest things to do in life is to hear a story about another person and form a judgment uh, about their actions, right? I mean, that's almost fun to us in a very dysfunctional and sinful way. Uh, that, that, and, and I know that because I read our Facebook posts, Right? Uh, that we see, well, it has to be true if it's on the internet, right? Uh, and we immediately form these judgments. And sometimes, sometimes that judgment will inspire us uh, to be better humans. Uh, sometimes it will feed uh, a sinful part of our pride, uh, causing us to feel superior to others. Uh, there are times when we're showed beforehand the results of a path that we're heading down uh, that we should avoid. We say, okay, I, I see the dangers of that in another person's life. I should alter my course. Or we see the choices of others and, and it illuminates a path that's worthy of walking. Uh, and we say, okay, I should aspire uh, to that. And when we read through the Gospels, and particularly uh, in the exchanges that Jesus shares with the Jewish leadership, there's much to be aware of uh, and a danger rises when we take joy in those moments when Jesus corrects them. Uh, or, or rebukes them, and we think they end up looking like fools. And, and if we're not careful, uh, we, can, we can think of these scenes like um, Jesus, who we want to be on Team Jesus, right? Uh, that he's, he's bowing up to uh, the enemy, right? And he's trying to put them in their place, and when he does, we get to celebrate, and we're like, yeah, you give it to him! Uh, and, and, and when we think in that realm, that we think today as Jesus is going to respond and say some pretty harsh words, uh, that we think that Jesus is in a boxing match with the Pharisees. And here's what you need to understand. The Pharisees aren't even in his league. Okay? But Jesus isn't trying to fight them either. When Jesus rebukes and corrects, when the Word of God enters your life and rebukes or corrects your behavior, it isn't to defeat you, it's to liberate you. 
It's to show you the, great, the best way. And so when Jesus speaks over these next couple of weeks about hypocrisy, uh, and we're going to be like, oh yeah, I'm team Jesus. So he's, really, he's like ninja kicking them, right? To a point where we're really happy that we're on his team. That's not the intent. That out of his great love and his great mercy for them, he reveals dangerous steps that they're taking. Dangerous practices that they are celebrating. Okay, so that, that's the intent. So if we want to kind of get up and be like, yeah, you give it to them. Understand that really what we get to explore in these passages, if we're open to it, is the Word of God operating in our, on our own hearts. Okay, and so that's, that's the intent. And I, and I mentioned this because Jesus is going to have some very critical words for the Pharisees in the next two weeks. In fact, He's going to call them uh, hypocrites. He's going to call them sons of hell. He's going to call them blind guides, fools, robbers, self-indulgent, whitewashed tombs, snake, vipers, persecutors, and murderers. Okay, He's going to say these things and all of them are going to be true about them. And as He describes, He says, this is true. This is true. But He tells them this so that they can repent so they can choose a better path to walk. And, and so many are going to read this passage uh, and, and, and our, our intent is to focus on how evil the Pharisees and the scribes specifically in these chapters are or seem to be. Right? Oh, well, those people, they, they really are. They really are missing it. Uh, and, and what we need to keep in mind is that we shouldn't see them as being insincere people. Uh, they, they believed fully in what they were doing. Uh, they believed fully that they were protecting God or pursuing God. Uh, they believed that what they did was right, uh, and so did everyone else. Uh, that, that when it comes to Pharisees and scribes, these are the people that, that other people would aspire to become. They say, I, I can never be a spiritual giant like them. And, and I think one of the sobering realities that, that stand before us in this passage is that that it's possible for you and me to be genuinely, uh, to believe genuinely that we're doing God's work, uh, and yet at the same time uh, be deceived where Jesus says your destination is, is eternal damnation. Okay? Uh, and I don't say that to scare you, because everybody's like, oh my gosh, I'm not saved again. Right? No, that's not, that's not the intent. But, but there are going to be some questions that stick out that we ask to reveal if our hearts are more like Pharisees or if our hearts are more like Christ followers. Uh, and so, so instead of sitting on the sidelines uh, or sitting in the stands and watching this play out, uh, I believe, again, if we listen rightly, uh, these verses will operate on our hearts. They'll, they'll cut off portions of who we are. And, and so, um, so really, we, we, I don't want us to spend in these next two weeks as spectators listening to Jesus speak to people who lived 2,000 years ago, that we say, well, we've clearly evolved or advanced from them. Because we haven't. Okay? You are revealed in the book of Genesis just like we are revealed today. Okay? It's all very relevant. Uh, and so, so what I want us doing, though, is asking this question of, okay, have, have we missed it? Have we, have we created a life that looks very spiritual but a heart that is very distant from it? Okay? I don't mean to do that to, to scare you. I just want us to understand that the more we pursue Christ, the more these things become revealed. Because we can't fool God and we can't fool ourselves, really. Uh, and so, 
So here's what we're going to do. We're going to ask some questions. Um, and, and what I would prefer you to do is not to answer them immediately. Okay? And then that you wouldn't answer them defensively. You would just ask them and then let them kind of marinate in your heart and your soul. Uh, and so, so we're going to ask some questions. We're going to pause and we're going to consider uh, just and try to root out sin that rests in our hearts, uh, which sounds like a really fun thing to do, right, today. Let's do that. All right, let's, let's go. Chapter 1, or verse 1 in chapter 23. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, okay? So now Jesus is responding. He's speaking. The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but they do not, what's the word? Practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and they lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make uh, their, uh, that word, uh, phylacterites, uh, broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplace being called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers, and no man, uh, and, and call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven, neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you, now pay attention, verse 11, the greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be what? Exalted. Very good, very good. Some of you were listening at the beginning. Some of you joined in at the end. Very good. Uh, I, we appreciate that effort. Um, so, so here's what we're going to do. In this chapter, we're going to see seven questions. Today, we're going to deal with four of them. Uh, I, I just did seven questions like this. Uh, that's eight. So we're going to do seven questions. Uh, I'm getting good with finger numbers. Um, we're going to deal with four today, and we're going to deal with the remaining three next week. Uh, but, but the first initial question we need to ask ourselves uh, is a common objection to uh, the non-believing world and really uh, anytime we find conflict inside the church, okay? It's, it's, uh, it's a universal question about the movement and the actions of Christians in general uh, that when we are out of step with God, hypocrisy grows, okay? And so, so regardless, this is the first question we should ask when exploring the sincerity of our hearts when it comes to following God and the fruits that are being produced. And the question is simply this in your talk notes. Do I fail to practice what I preach? Do I fail to practice what I preach? And now let me just tell you, some of you will say, well, I don't preach very often, so I don't have to worry about that. That's, that's, not, that's not the intent. Because as believers, you have said something with your life and you should be saying something with your words. Okay? That, that you should be declaring to a world in actions and words that Christ is Lord. That He is King. Okay? That He is in control. So, so everything you do in your life as a Christian says something about your manner of preaching. Okay? And so, so chapter uh, 23, verse 2, the scribes and the Pharisees, they, they sit on Moses' seat, so do, and they observe whatever uh, they tell you, but not the works they do, for they preach, but they do not practice. And then, as we discussed last week, they added to the laws of God so that we wouldn't approach breaking the laws of God. It says they, they tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear. They lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them 
with a finger. It's, it's almost the, hey, you go do this um, while I don't do that. Okay? That, that's exactly what's at play. It's, it's holding, uh, and I'll tell you where, where I think this rubs us incorrectly in the church, is when we expect an unbelieving world to live up to standards that we ourselves are not, not even trying to live up to when it comes to the pursuit of holiness. They say, well, you should be that. And they're like, well, you're not that. And you're like, well, you got me there. And so, so in a statement of, of pure irony, Jesus says that the scribes and the Pharisees sit on the seat of Moses, uh, which means they've taken it upon themselves to be an authoritative voice in the church. They've, they've created new rules. They've added to the laws. They, they've placed heavy burdens on people. And yet they somehow say, well, I'm not held up to that standard. I don't have to do that because of who I am. And, and we know uh, that as we read this, uh, that, that Jesus doesn't mean that we're supposed to do everything the scribes and the Pharisees are teaching. Because in, in verse 15, he's going to say the product of that is that they are producing children of hell. Uh, They look very spiritual, but they are producing uh, children of hell. And Jesus' intent is that people should obey uh, their leaders insofar as they teach the Word of God rightly. He says these guys are sitting in the seat of Moses, but they're not sitting in it rightly. And that their actions, on the other hand, uh, are not to be imitated. So so they are saying one thing, they're acting a different way. You shouldn't imitate how they're acting. Uh, because that's it's incorrect, because they're not putting into practice the very commands that they are teaching. In fact, uh, they were increasingly placing burdens on the people uh, as a matter of their own convenience. Almost all the demands that they were placing on the people was serving them in some form or fashion. So when it comes to us, we need to ask whether or not there's a consistency between what you say and how you live. Okay? And, and ultimately, as a child of God, but you can start to compartmentalize that, right? That's what we do with our lives. Understanding you can't compartmentalize child of God if you are redeemed in Christ. That's, that's who you are. That's your identity now. Um, so let's just take away your, your Christian compartment and make that the overall. But, but think in terms of, are you practicing what you preach when it comes to your profession? Are you practicing what you preach when it comes to how you're raising your children? Are you practicing what you preach when it comes to how you interact with your spouse? Are you practicing what you preach when it comes to uh, your, your forms of, of friendship and the people that you are pursuing in the heart with the heart of the gospel? Are you putting those things into practice in your life? That Christians, especially especially Christian leaders, they have to hear this instruction and be aware where there's a disconnect. Where you say, okay, I am expecting someone else to live up to a standard that I myself am not striving towards. Now, does that mean that the requirement is perfection? Absolutely not. But that's part of growing up in Christ. Uh, that's, that's putting sin to death. That's not flirting with temptation. But anytime I have an expectation for you that I myself am not willing to strive for, that in itself is hypocrisy. So you have to be mindful of that. You can't shepherd your family well if your standards are lower than the ones you're trying to leave. That's, that's important for us to understand, especially as fathers, especially as husbands. And so when, when we look at it honestly, there, this, this was the way Jesus was leading. There's nothing he ever did. There's nothing he ever didn't, that, that he, there's nothing he didn't say uh, that he hasn't first put into practice and isn't first modeling 
for us. And so that, that's question one. Question two is going to lead us. Uh, it's going to be sneaky. Okay, I'm just going just gonna to warn you about that. Uh, it's going to just sneak up on you, and it's going to punch you in the throat. Okay, so if you lose your breath in this, that's okay. You're not alone. I did it this week. Uh, number, number two, the question is ultimately this. Am I content with the approval of God? Am I content with the approval of God? Verse uh, um, 5 and 6 and 7 says this. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. Okay, Let's, You can just underline that in your Bible. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. For they make their uh, phylacteries uh, broad and their fringes long. And they love the place of honor at feast and the best seats in the synagogue. I know, some, some of y'all like, come in here and you're like, dude, I want that really good seat. All right? And when somebody sits in it, you're like, oh, I don't think they know. Uh, somehow we turn this around. It's always the back row. You're like, oh, those are the best seats um, because you can't see me uh, fall asleep while he's talking. Um, for they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplace and being called rabbi. Uh, by others and, and, and now let me give you just a little bit of Bible nerd talk uh, so we can better understand uh, the actions of what the Pharisees and scribes are doing that makes them look super spiritual okay uh, first one is the, the phylacteries uh, what they were they were small boxes uh, where you would hold scriptures in them we talked last week a little bit about the Shema uh, that you find in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and it was this declaration that we would remember that the Lord our God is one, right? And that we would love Him with all of our heart, soul, mind, strength. That we would, so, so what they would do is they would take verses like that and they would put them in this box, okay? So, so, but eventually, what they would do, to, like the new edition of the boxes were a little bit bigger, right? And then all of a sudden, it became a little bit more flashier. Uh, some of them would put them, uh, literally hang them like, um, what's this thing? Sweatband. Think of a sweatband. They would put it right in front of their eyes because remember it says, don't depart from the word. Uh, put it in uh, your eyelets, in your frontlets. So they would be walking around with this, the verses hanging like this. And it was, looked very spiritual. Uh, they would have like the, the Jordans of the phylacteries, right? They're like, man, that's legit. Uh, they would they'd walk into their phylactery closet and they'd say, oh, which one today? Which one? Uh, and which one would be most impressive? Uh, and then... Their fringes, when it came on, their, came to their robes, they, they would extend their fringes because the more, uh, the longer your fringe, the more spiritual you were. Okay, and let's not act like we've never lived in that world if you spent really any time in church. This would be the equivalent of having like the calfskin Bible, you know, that you spend like two hundred dollars on because the uh, paperback wasn't spiritual enough for you, right? But you get it like family size, and you like to walk around saying, "Hey." Look what I got, right? Some of you get it. Some of you don't. Like, I don't understand what you're talking about. But for you who get it, you're welcome. Um, and so, so this, this is what they were doing. And, and the Pharisees, the bulk of these two items originally are designed for very spiritual purposes. To help you remember great truths about God's great love for you. And they took what was supposed to be these very intimate spiritual practices and they turned them into very public declarations. But not about God, about themselves. About their devotion. 
uh, and about their, their love. And, and these verses reveal a much deeper issue of the sin that's resting in their hearts. And, so, and I don't say that to say, hey, this was their issue because this is our issue. They were doing these things because, Jesus says, they like the, the best seats. They like the places of honor. They like hearing people say rabbi to them in the marketplaces. Like they would declare it. Like they would, uh, these, these are the kind of people that would hear someone say rabbi and they're like, didn't say it loud enough, so I'm going to ignore it. And then somebody would say, rabbi, rabbi. And they're like, oh, that's me, right? That's, that's, the, that's the practice that was being put into place. And, and so they, they try to look spiritual so they can be as spiritual so that people will respect them as spiritual and Jesus will say your hearts are very far from the Father because what is being revealed is that you long for the praise of man because you are not content of the approval of God you long for the praise of man because you are not content with approval of God. David Platt says it this way, it's a deadly thing to desire the applause of men for once you receive it, your flesh enjoys it. And you want it more and more. As a result, you become less and less content with the approval of God. Scripture, on the other hand, calls us to be content with God's gracious smile that we are dead to what men say about us. Jesus will tell us very firmly that when you receive the praise of men, you have received your reward in full. So that's it. That high five, that pat on the back, that plaque, that, that little um, glass trophy of that moment of recognition for you just being a decent human being, right? That that's the reward you receive in full. Says that, but he says that's why you store up your treasures in heaven where none of that stuff gets destroyed. And so, so the word content, I think, gets a bad rap in our time. Uh, it really does. But somehow, uh, especially I think in our culture, uh, somehow we've taken that word and we've demeaned it. Uh, that we believe that if you are content, you've settled for something less than. Uh, and that, that's not the intent here. That being content in God, uh, being content with who you are in Christ is the greatest thing that you can do because it gives you the most amount of freedom. Uh, you don't have to compete. You don't have to deal with, well, why didn't they respond the way I expected them to? Uh, why aren't they seeing these things the same way that I am? I'm content in who I am. My, I don't have to chase those Joneses who are constantly changing what a success looks like. You realize that? As soon as you keep up with one set of Joneses, there's another set that you're like, oh, that's the new set. Let's be friends with them because they seem super fancy. Right? Question three. Do I attempt to assert my superiority over others? And this is the one. You're like, oh, that's not me. Never, never, I don't do that. I don't, I don't assert my superiority over anybody. Um, but here's, here's what happens. And greetings in the marketplaces being called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher. You are all brothers. And, no man, uh, and call no man father on earth, uh, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors for you have one instructor, the Christ. Now, now let's talk about that because there are a few things that may appear off, right? Especially um, to the casual reader. For instance, uh, a casual observer might read these verses and they could surmise that Jesus is saying that no one should carry a title of spiritual authority. Uh, that, that, that 
you shouldn't uh, be doing that. And that no one should be called rabbi or pastor or elder. That, that, that observer could also conclude that Jesus is really forbidden teaching of any kind uh, in the church. And however, we, we know that that can't be his point. Uh, because there are other places in Scripture, very specific places in the New Testament, uh, that that speak about role, titles and roles like pastor and elder and deacon, and and they're prescribed in the New Testament, and there are instructions about people teaching in the church. So, so Jesus isn't discussing doing away with those things. Now he is discussing the abuse of those things, uh, the abuse of that authority. Uh, and so later in this very passage, Jesus is going to talk about sending prophets and sages and scribes essentially as, as, as missionaries. And so, so he's not denouncing every form of spiritual leadership because God establishes leadership all throughout the Bible so the body can be more effective and more efficient. Okay? That's, that's part of the role of the pastor or the elder is to help equip the saints for the work of the ministry, uh, very specifically. But, but his words are a clear rebuke about leadership done uh, wrong in the, in the way the Pharisees have used their leadership to make it about themselves and not God. Uh, remember, they, they love the titles. They love the recognition in public about who they are. And, uh, and they, they have asserted their authority as a tool to display the superiority over others to the point that they're drawing focus away from Christ's superiority uh, for over all people. In fact, we were kind of discussing this on Wednesday night in our merge group. Uh, Matt Chandler was bringing up this point uh, that, that Christ doesn't come into your life just to be your Savior. He comes to be your Savior and your King. Uh, meaning that He doesn't just bail you out of hell. He comes uh, to rule and reign over your life as King. That He is always on display as, that, uh, as, as our Savior King, as our Messiah. And so He's not willing to share that stage or the responsibility of the control over your life. And so, so Jesus comes in and He says, Listen, you need to understand those guys don't have superiority over you. That I do. As the Word who was the Word in the beginning, as the One who all things are created through and for, I rule supreme over your life. Not them. Not them. And so I think... Um, at play here isn't the expression of the crowd, but the pride that's growing in the Pharisees' hearts. Their expectation was that others would see how important and how great they believed they were. Because they're saying, there's nothing wrong with the titles of, of rabbi uh, or pastor. I always, uh, there's, there's a part of me that's not, not prideful in a sense, but proud that God has allowed me to have a, a title like that uh, as pastor. Um, uh, but there's nothing wrong with the title of boss. Or chairman. Now, what you do with that authority um, can lead you down dangerous paths. Um, what you do, and until that title is used as a weapon to elevate yourself above others, you're okay. But once you say, "I'm going to use this to elevate myself above another person," that's when that's when Jesus says that you incorrectly use that. So let me give you just some. This is not in your talk notes, but some clarifying questions you can ask about uh, where in your heart you have sinful pride. I know, this is fun. This is fun rooting that thing out. Uh, that, that, for instance, does your heart delight in receiving honor over other people? Do you like receiving honor and then secretly looking over there and saying, <laughs> you didn't get that. I did. No? no y- y'all are so much better than me. I'm telling you. 
telling you, do, do you find comfort when you realize that you're in a better or a higher position than someone else? Or are you prone to, even in your own mind, exalt yourself over others? Do you, you say, oh man, I am so much better than that person? Do, do you compare yourself with, with other people, subconsciously measuring yourself against them to discern your own level of spirituality? Do you, do you compete with other Christians on who's more Christian? And the issue that Jesus brings it in verse 7 is really the danger of pride running rampant. Uh, in fact, uh, C.S. Lewis, he, he links pride with competition. Uh, if you're looking for it, it's in, it's in his book, Mere Christianity. He says this. He says, now, now what you want to get clear is that pride is essentially competitive. It's competitive by its very nature. Pride gets no pleasure out of having something. Okay, hear me when I say this. Pride has no pleasure of having something only out of having more of it than the next man. That what we, we say that people are proud of being rich or clever or good looking, but they are not. They are proud of being richer or cleverer or better looking than others. If everyone else became equally rich or clever or good looking, there would be nothing to be proud about. It's the comparison that makes you proud, the pleasure of being above the rest. And Jesus is looking at a group of people who are spiritually trying to lead others, and he says, that's the issue. You're competing to a point where you're striving to become better than. And I think we're we're naturally prone to compete uh, with one another, to measure ourselves uh, against our neighbors. And this sinful habit cuts both ways because what develops is is if I'm doing better than the person next to me then I feel good about myself I do uh, if, if I'm doing worse than the person next to me then all of a sudden I feel bad about myself especially my, my spirituality but, but this is the wrong perspective altogether because this is what Jesus says in verses 8-10 through 10. He says we're all equal under Christ this is where we are all equal before God, not because of our efforts of outdoing each other or even spurring one another on in love and good deeds. Uh, that, that we are equal before God through Christ because He alone is superior. That you will never out-Christian Christ. <laughs> can't do it. And the good news of the Gospel is that we can't. We can't. Let's, let's go question four. Do I humbly serve others, or am I hypocritically centered on myself? Now, we would, we would change that a little bit if we were trying to soften it. Uh, but why do that, since we're already this deep, right? Uh, do, do I humbly serve others, or am I um, secretly centered on myself? In, in verse 11 and 12, this is, this is powerful. And we want to we, we cling to these words when it's, it's convenient, and we want to ignore these words when it's not. Because Jesus is going to reveal to you the path to greatness. And you're going to hear it and you're going to be like, I don't like that. Let's find something else. It's like having the fortune cookie and you're like, I don't like that fortune. Let me have yours. Um, even though, you know, if you're going to eat a fortune cookie, it's whatever you get. Right? That's the way it works. And so it's a, verse 11, the greatest among you, the greatest among you shall be your servant. And whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And whoever humbles himself 
will be exalted. And this is it's beautiful because we've already seen humility uh, discussed numerous times in the book of Matthew. Right? Jesus has always been consistent about this. That if you want to understand uh, what the path of greatness looks like, it is always through service expressed through humility. Okay? It's a service not in the extent of, I, am, I better get something good out of my efforts here. No, it's, it's, ex, it's service expressed in, I am just so thankful that God has brought me into His story. That everything that I do with my life is a testament to His great love. And so Jesus, He goes against every grain of every worldly leadership principle by making clear that God humbles the self-exalted uh, and he exalts the self-humbled. Uh, that, that the consistent message is this, that the path to greatness is paved by humility. Which, by the way, Jesus has modeled for us. He has constantly modeled it for us. That, that this principle is, is, most clearly, uh, is expressed most clearly in the way we serve others or the way we fail to self, serve others. Uh, so, so are we consistently looking for ways to put the love of God on display in actions motivated for compassion? Or do we do things with the expectation that we would receive something in return? And usually, usually that something in return really only benefits us. It's not something that we all get to share and we all get to play with. It's really just some sort of thing that we're feeding uh, ourselves. And so let's, let's, we can start wrapping this up. Uh, I don't even know where, crack, where swine is. See napping again? All right, Heather, you're going to get it? We're just going to sit in silence until Chris gets back in here. Um, and when, when he... There we go. Ladies and gentlemen, Chris Sweeney. Chris Sweeney. That's good. That's good, buddy. You shave your face. You shave your face and you're like, oh, I don't have to go to church anymore. Uh, oh, gotcha. Hey, hey. Hey, listen. Listen, Linda. See, okay, this is where, when they say rabbi, he's not saying it in a way of honoring someone. <laughs> he's referring to me in a derogatory way. And I'm going to take that statement and whatever. Laura, Chris is being mean to me again. Um, no, no. You can't help. Can't or won't. Those are two different things. So, all right, all right. So here we go. Let's, we can start wrapping this up now that Chris has decided to come to church. Um, Okay, so we're asking, we're asking four questions. And very honestly, these four questions can be difficult. Okay? They're, they're not... You don't walk out of here today and say, Oh, check, 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 check. Good to go. Done. Okay? These are four questions that, that you should ask. You should invite the Holy Spirit into the conversation. Because there will be some things. Okay? And I only say this because this is what the Holy Spirit's been revealing in my heart the last two weeks as I've been wrestling with these verses. That He will reveal some things in your spirit, in your, in your life that says, Nope. I've been telling you that's not good. And you've ignored it. Okay? So admittedly, these four, four questions aren't easy to answer and they're not even easy to explore. But remember... That just because it's hard to explore them doesn't mean it's not right to explore them. That I'm not having you ask these questions in an attempt to guilt you to look more Christian-y. That's, that's not the intent. I don't ask you to ask these, 
yourself these questions because I want you to be able to look at the person next to you and say, I've leveled up, they're not. Because that doesn't benefit anybody. Because if we're honest, right, a healthy church has people on all these varying avenues of, of it's not levels of spirituality, but they are all growing in Christ. And now some might have been growing longer, right? Some may have been growing more intentional, while others may be at a place where they are wading into some waters. And that's okay. So, so I, don't, I don't have you ask these questions. I don't encourage you to ask these questions so that you can be just as guilty as the Pharisees of being feeling superior. I, I, I ask us to wrestle with these questions because our intent is to look more like Christ and not each other. And anytime we want to try to compare one another, anytime we want to try to say, okay, am I better than or less than, you know, we, we've missed it because our intent is to look like Christ in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our offices, with people who are also believers, with people who aren't believers especially. That we want to ask these questions because our lives say something about the greatness of God or the greatness of ourselves. And this is ultimately what Jesus is confronting the Pharisees with. He says, man, there's greatness involved in your story, but right now it's about you. And that story's going to end tragically. So, so the Christian that Jesus is calling us to be understands there's no greater joy in this life than knowing God and helping others know God through Christ. And he says you can't do it if you live as a hypocrite. You can't. So we ask these questions not to compete with one another, but rather to spur one another on towards holiness since God is worthy of the offering of our lives. That's why we do the hard things here. That's why. Our desire this week is to love God. Bye. Please stand with me. As we wrap up, we want to make some prayer available to you. If you don't know Christ, I'm just going to go ahead and give you um, some advice that, that your greatest need is fulfilled in Him. If you long for a right relationship with God, we believe that the Bible says it goes through Jesus and Him alone. So there's going to be some people up here that are, that are willing and eager. Nothing gets celebrated more than when a heart comes to Christ, when death becomes life, when brokenness becomes healed. Or maybe you do need some prayer. Maybe, maybe you're dealing with some hard times. Maybe the Spirit is speaking to you about some repentance. And you just need some encouragement through prayer. We, we want to have that available. Maybe you just need to take some time and thank Jesus for His sacrifice through communion. Those elements are available. I love you guys. Let's pray. Father, we thank You so very much for Your love for us. We pray that Your Spirit would speak over these next few days as we wrestle with some important questions and that it would move us. It would move us more into Your direction. We love you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.